Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast brought to you, as always, by InsideThePenguins.com, an affiliate of the Hockey News. I'm your host, Nick Berlansky, joined, as always, by Nick Horwat. We have a fun show for you guys today. As the calendar flips to August, we are guaranteed to get some Pittsburgh Penguins news later this week. We'll tell you just exactly uh, what you can expect from the Pittsburgh Penguins on August 4th, which is this Friday. We'll talk about the ramifications of that. We're going to talk a little bit of front office hires as well as a very special birthday that happened yesterday and finish it off with a listener question. But Horwat, let's start with the guaranteed news that we will get here in a couple of days. That's Drew O'Connor, who is expected to have his arbitration hearing on Friday, August 4th. Obviously, That is the last remaining restricted free agent on the Pittsburgh Penguins docket. We know there's going to be a resolution this week. It's coming to us on Friday. We'll hear probably a little bit earlier than that what Drew O'Connor is looking for, what the Pittsburgh Penguins are looking for. And then at the end of the day, we will have it. What Drew O'Connor's contract will be with the Pittsburgh Penguins heading into this season or if it is a multi-year deal. It's the. It may not be huge news, but it's going to have a bigger ripple effect than I think many are... uh, led to believe we'll see how it goes i mean it it's drew o'connor I, like we're mentioning it's not going to be what troy terry is looking for we're not about to discuss the Jesus. four million dollar difference in uh price tags that the team and player are setting up uh this might be the least there might be the least gap between team and player when it comes to this contract negotiation and if an arbiter needs to come in and set a final number but it, the fact that it's happening at all is going to be huge for the Penguins in terms of what it could mean for the rest of the lineup and for the rest of the uh, money situation that we're in. We're still, I believe it's, what, $2 million over at the moment? Maybe 3 something weird like that. Uh, about 2.2 over, according to Cap Friendly. And uh, they just got to make the adjustments necessary. We'll see where things go. And a lot rides on... Drew O'Connor, which is very interesting. Yeah, I talked about it last week on Penguins to Go. Drew O'Connor is pivotal for the Penguins offseason because of a couple reasons we're going to mention here in a couple minutes. But also, I think he's a pivotal player for the Pittsburgh Penguins next season. Obviously, there's a chance he's included in a trade that obviously we've been waiting for for over a month at this point. Uh, But we won't get into that today just simply because of fatigue of talking about it. But Drew O'Connor, if he's on this roster... He could become a very important piece. He's seen his role be elevated every single year since he came to the Pittsburgh Penguins three years ago, directly out of college. And this is his first chance, really, to become that make-the-team-out-of-camp, everyday NHL player, try to play the full 82 for the first time in his career. Yeah, and you know what? He's got a great chance at it. It's, It's a stuffed lineup. It's a stuffed bottom six, especially. There's going to be plenty of battles for roles that... um. Guys like Alex Nylander, Andreas Janssen, and uh, if I'm, I'm the last names escape, maybe Vinny Henestrosa can get can get in there. There's gonna be battles for roles all over the place, and Drew O'Connor's right at the heart of it. Uh, I think he might come in with a leg up, a little extra advantage because he's been here and because he's proven what he can do before, and he spent most of last season in the NHL and not 
coasting around the A like those two names I just mentioned did. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it'll be important for him to have a good camp, have a good start to the season. I think he'll make the opening day roster pretty cleanly, pretty easily. It's a matter yeah. of sustaining a level of usability at the NHL level to uh, stay in this lineup. And, I, I mean, I don't know if an arbiter can or if arbitration you can get two-way deals worked out. <laughs> Um, uh, it does, I mean, that won't make it too much of a difference. Yeah. It'll just be his salary. Of course it will be. So who knows how that all goes? We're, it's it's something. It is definitely some sort of news that we are for sure getting. It has been on the count. <laughs> yeah. And even if they come to a deal beforehand, which is still possible, uh, we'll have the time to talk about that. It's uh, mm-hmm. small things, but could have a much bigger impact on the season than uh, really we're expecting. Yeah, when it gets to the month of August, you'll take any type of news that you can get. And uh, the fact that, obviously, Drew O'Connor news, that'll be, you know, it's not the news that's front page for everybody. It's not must-click for everybody. But it could turn into something, as you mentioned. Uh, And let's get to that right now. That's the Mikhail Granlin of it all. DOC's arbitration hearing will trigger a 48-hour buyout window for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Clearly, they can buy out anybody, or almost anybody, on the team they can't buy out Jeff Carter. They're not going to buy out Jeff Carter. It's a stupid idea. Let's not even get into it. Just as a reminder for everybody. Uh, but McCrail Granlund is the most likely and probably the only candidate at this point to get bought out if the Penguins get that second window later this week. So the question then becomes, Horwat, we'll get into it deeper, but yes or no question, will McHale Granlund be a Pittsburgh Penguin by this time next week? I just don't think so. I, I don't... I don't know what it is that sits with me that it is that it's just a I don't believe so anymore. It's uh it's hard to really put into words just because that money is that we're paying him right now is egregious, right? It's high. It's five million dollars per year for this year and next year still. Uh and he didn't perform at that level and either he has some sort of either someone is foreseeing a ridiculous bounce back or uh, you save. I need to pull the numbers up because I just can't remember them right now. A little over four million dollars this year, a little over three million dollars next year, and then obviously because the contract would have fallen off, you really don't save all that much money. It costs you about I think seven hundred thirty-three thousand dollars a year the following two seasons. That's not bad. You take that on it. Like that's a that's just what you like. You take that. That's phenomenal savings, especially this year where the cap didn't go up. Next season where it's supposed to go up. Okay, well, it it stays about the same. Maybe even you get a little extra. So it's um, it's hard to walk away from a deal like that. When, whenever I say a deal like that, I mean the amount of savings you're getting. It's hard to say no to it. So uh, everyone understands Kyle Dubas says it's his last resort, but if you consider what all he still has on the table, it might be a last resort worth taking. Because he needs that as much, he needs to save as many dimes as possible when it comes to maybe attempting to land Eric Carlson in this. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out here what it would end up being, but it's, it, you know, can't really look that up really quickly. But um, I would say, I listen, I've been back and forth on this. For the second buyout window, I think you, we all remember the first buyout window. I just didn't see it happening. I felt like it was too soon for Kyle Dubas to be like, yeah, we're just going to cut that and I'm going to have to deal with that forever. I thought Kyle Dubas, in his mind, thought that he could be able to trade a player like Mikhail Granlin. And I still think that he he's thinking that. But in this second buyout window, I think part of it is, okay, now that you've seen where the market is at for Mikhail Granlin and nobody is, has bitten on Granlin in, what, two months now? since Kyle Dubas was able to take over for the Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, I thought, okay, maybe this is the time where he says, you know what, I just need that space. I I just need it. At the end of the day, though, I feel like the answer is yes, Mikhail Granlin is on the Pittsburgh Penguins at this time next week. I mean, I've gone back and forth, but I think the principle still stands that both Dubas and historically the Pittsburgh Penguins do not like buyouts. I mean, Jack Johnson is the only one He is the only one, and he was abysmal for multiple seasons before the Pittsburgh Penguins bought him out. Now, don't get me wrong, Mikhail Granlin had really no redeeming qualities last season in his 21-game sample size. 
but that's just it. It's a 21-game sample size, and the lay of the land is much different in the NHL now than it has been in the past. Now, if I'm the Pittsburgh Penguins, do I want to pay $5 million for Mikhail Granlin this next season and the following season after that? No, I don't want that. Because if he comes back and, and performs the same way he did when he came over to Pittsburgh, that's just a horrible, horrible contract to have on your books. But I wouldn't be shocked if Kyle Dubas says, you know what? I still think I can trade him. I still think that even if it's into the season, I think I can get this cap hit off of the roster. And here's the thing. You don't need to get it off the roster to become cap compliant. You don't need to get it off the roster to ice a team come October 10th. So if it all depends on where the Carlson thing is at, but regardless, if DOC obviously gets his arbitration case finished and Kyle Dubas has any inkling of imagination that he thinks that he's going to be able to perform this trade, I think he's going to hold on to it and try to trade Granlin either later in the summer or once the season begins. We'll see how that rolls. I mean, it's it's possible that he could still find a taker. The thing about Mikhail Granlund is if you're thinking you're going to get him dealt and you're going to retain salary, and then it becomes you're probably going to have to retain a full 50, so that's 2.5. See, I don't think you do. You don't think? I mean, the Penguins didn't retain a full 50, and you can say what you will about Chris Pryor and Ron Hextall. They're not going to sit there and take the full 100% if there was any chance that they would get anything off of it, right? Like, you're not going to have to retain the full 50. That just doesn't happen that often in the NHL. I don't think you would have to do that. Right. I'm just kind of th- trying to throw out uh, numbers here because what numbers were you, were you trying to look up what exactly the cap it would be for four seasons with Mikhail Granlund here on a buyout? Yes. That's what I was trying to, to look up really quickly, but I wasn't able to pull it up. And of course, I'm the one that's able to do it here. So uh, <laughs> in this the first year of the buyout, which would be this upcoming season, 23-24, you would only be paying him $833,000. Yeah. So you're paying that little for him to not play for your team you're saving 4.1 uh right off the jump and then for the following three seasons it's 1.8 just okay. another million on top of that so you're sitting yeah and then the two years after that he wouldn't be on the books at all you're technically spending 1.8 but again the salary cap is supposed to go up at that point you're not super worried about it Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you will be. It is a million dollars that eats away at your salary cap. Sure, you probably spent at that point, but it's much more than uh, it's much more savings than what five million dollars on your team would be. And also, if a trade was to go through, and let's say you have to retain half or a number, you're still sitting with him, not on your roster, at two point five. Sounds a lot a lot nicer to have him sit off of your roster for one point eight than 2.5 or just 800,000 however you want to look at it that's just in my eyes and I get it's 2.5 and then off in two years Mm -hmm. but it's still an interesting concept and I'm gonna pull up what Tom LeCision at the Athletic did with how the Penguins have somehow turned into one of the worst spending teams in the league Mm -hmm. uh it was you know the last few moves of Ron Hextall which was paying Jeff Carter trading for Jeff Petrie and uh this Mikhail Granlin deal that really just tanked their standings. They were eighth in the league last year in terms of spending. They were 22nd this past season. And I mean, Kyle Dubas isn't, you know, guilt free of this, of this, uh, not tanking of their, of their score, but of their decline. Some of his early contracts have also pulled the score down, but Mikhail Granlin is according to Don decisions model here, the worst forward contract we have in terms of, uh, value Granlin's model value is $1.7 million and clearly paying him five for another two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is a surplus value of $6.6 million. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Domless decision has obviously you, you look at that. It's a very easy way to go about it, but I, I just want to rebut with two things. One, mm-hmm. the 2.5, you're not retaining 2.5. Like that's, no. that's, that's not going to happen. And two, when I, I think about the way that these guys think in the front office, they don't want to retain anything. Right. They don't want to retain anything. And if you're Kyle Dubas, who, yes, it would be nice to have $4 million free and you just say, okay, we're bought, buying out the contract. 
I get $4 million right now. They're not this short-sighted. Like, they look towards the future, especially a guy in Kyle Dubas who was just hired on a seven-year contract. He has to look towards the future. So that's why I feel like he's not going to buy him out, and I feel like he's going to say, you know what, I can find a deal, and it is easier for guys like Mikhail Granlin to find a deal once the season begins and a little bit later into the season once other teams already know, okay, hey, listen, we're not going anywhere this year. We have the cap space still. Let's get an asset to bring on this dead contract because our season's basically over. And at that instance, you're saying, okay, is Mikhail Granlund an AHL player? No, he's still an NHL player. Yeah. Is he an overpaid NHL player? 100%. Is he going to be as bad as he was at the end of the last season? It's highly unlikely. There's a chance, but it's highly unlikely. Do I uh, do I want to see Mikhail Granlund play for the Penguins next year? No, I'd prefer they get rid of him. But I just don't see it happening. It's the same argument I made earlier in the summer. I just don't see it happening. And if it does happen, then cool, great. They have $4 million in cap space and Mikhail Granlin's off the books and out of the way. But if they don't, I'm not going to be surprised at all. Yeah, it's. I wouldn't be surprised either way. I was kind of coming at this with the sense that no other teams in the league would be willing to take him. Uh, which I don't know if that is the right or wrong way to look at it. But it is kind of the popular way to look at it for Penguins fans. It's assuming no one else wants him because we saw what he did. 20 games with just a garbage time goal under his belt. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the way most people... It's the easy way out, too. It is the easiest... Boom, buy him out, we're done. Don't even have to worry about trying to make a deal. We got that much in savings. Mm-hmm. Because you don't... Because it also, you don't want to get fleeced on a deal, per se. You don't want to lose an asset to... Uh, get rid of a player like that. You want to maybe just hold on to your assets, pay the money out and go from there. And there's all kind it's all different kinds of ways to look at it. Like I said, I just kind of jumped at it from the angle of no other team in the league wants to take him on. I mean, has every team reached the cap floor? <laughs> Cuz uh, except Anaheim, but they have their obviously arbitration cases coming. They're going to hit the cap floor when they pay Troy Terry eight million dollars. <laughs> so well, he's not getting that, but yeah, no. But or when they pay Trevor Zegers eight million dollars, they'll hit it. But yeah, it's that's that was kind of also the thinking of it. You know, last month whenever this discussion was being had is well, which teams haven't hit the cap floor yet? They can take on a five million dollar contract at that with that sort of skill level, um, and who knows? Maybe they find a resurgence piece. But uh, I think from a Penguins fans' perspective, the buyout always just seemed easier. You don't lose you don't lose what could have been a possible asset, even if it was a draft pick or deep prospect. Who knows? You don't lose anyone in that. You kind of just pay what doesn't seem like a ton of money uh, for him to not play for your team. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see, obviously, because, I mean, the league shifts very, very quickly, especially once the season begins. Injuries that occur obviously change teams' perspective on what they have on their roster and what they have in their their books. So uh, we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. But we will have an answer by this time next week, whether or not Mikhail Granlin ends up being bought out. Horwat, you say you think he does. I th- think he doesn't, but uh, we'll, we'll see. Uh, what happens here in the next seven days. But we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, the Penguins have added to their front office and Evgeny Malkin has turned 37. We'll discuss both of those things after the break. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. Horwat, Kyle Dubas came in, and he said, I want to build a robust 
hockey operations department. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the the head of that hockey operations department underneath Kyle Dubas would be a general manager. We haven't heard anything as that it pertains to that, but we did get some news over the weekend that Amanda Kessel was promoted to be special assistant to the president of hockey operations and general manager of the Pittsburgh Penguins. She's entering her second official season with the Pittsburgh Penguins, but really since her brother was here, she's kind of been around the Penguins organization for the past several years, but she officially joined the Penguins last season as an executive fellow, getting the lay of the land in about every aspect of the hockey organization. But now she takes over the exact same role that Jason Spezza had last season for the Toronto Maple Leafs, it seems as if she's on an upward trajectory and it's a good thing for the Penguins and it's a good thing, obviously, for Amanda Kessel. Yeah, it's, it's exactly where uh, she wants to be. I know I don't know exactly what she did behind the scenes outside of, uh, I can remember when she was working with the uh, PR and communications department with uh, Jen Bellano and Evan Shaw. She was helping them out and doing their thing. Uh, I think she bounced around to a couple different uh, areas in the front yeah. office um, and it seems like management is uh, the highway she wanted to take mm-hmm. and this is uh, going to be a good little role it's fun that again Kyle Dubas is out here building his front office the way he wants it to be uh, he brought in Jason Spezza brought in a couple other names and promoted Amanda Kessel yet still no general manager and that's perfectly fine I know he said he pushed it off to July welcome to August and still no updates Perfectly fine, though. I think that's... He's running the team, and he's building the team in his image. He will get to that. He's been a little busy, clearly. But, yeah, it's a good promotion for Amanda Kessel, good promotion for the team, and huge for, you know, uh, women in this field as well, because that's still a very underrepresented uh, thing in all sports. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, when it comes to Amanda Kessel, it seems like this is a stepping stone towards becoming assistant general manager and hopefully one day becoming a general manager in the National Hockey League because we see what Jason Spezza did in one season as special assistant to the general manager. He was with Kyle Dubas, basically attached at the hip with Kyle Dubas last season. You can expect Amanda Kessel to be the same way with both Dubas, whoever's the general manager. I'm sure she'll be in the same room when decisions are made. I'm sure she'll be working right alongside with Jason Spezza. So the Pittsburgh Penguins are really fortifying their front office, and it's it's a new-look front office. It's a lot of fresh ideas, a lot of fresh perspectives, and I think that's a great thing for an organization uh, that is going to need a lot of new ideas whenever the end of the cross being Malkin era comes oh is it ever it's gonna need plenty of new ideas especially when it comes to building what they want to still be a winning team every team always still wants to win uh there's gonna be some bad years in there though and you're gonna need a good group of uh front office staff to carry you through it Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and like I mentioned, the different perspectives is, is vastly important. You have Jason Spezza, who comes from the world of junior hockey and that type of upbringing. And then you have Amanda Kessel, who comes from the world of you know college hockey and coming through that way uh, to becoming a successful Olympian and world champion uh, with the United States women's team. So uh, it's really good for the Pittsburgh Penguins to continue to fortify their front office. And I, I've enjoyed seeing the way that Dubas has built that out in, in now two months because he took over uh, at the beginning of June. Uh, you mentioned the general manager thing. I'm not all that worried about it, and I'm not surprised we're not going to hear anything about that until, well, certainly until this next week because you have the Drew O'Connor situation we talked about. You have the Mikhail Granlin decision that is pending. He's not going to make a hire before then. Um, you probably hear about that, if it happens at all, uh, in late August. Yeah, He's got the Eric Carlson thing still possibly up in the air. Yeah, uh, We know he said he would push it off to July. I think we all knew that he wasn't going to. Unless unless it was obvious he needed someone, but it's clearly obvious he doesn't need anyone. Like I said, he's been making his signings, he's made his trade, he's gotten he's gotten his feet wet, that's for sure. He's built out the uh, bottom six, added uh, Riley Smith via trade, and then what has added names that could help out the AHL team. Yeah, he's done... Uh, he's, He's done some pretty good work for himself so far. Yeah, obviously we'll have to wait and see how it all plays out on the ice, but off the ice, you know, the perspective of the Pittsburgh Penguins is that they took a step forward. Now, did they take as many steps forward as some would have liked? Probably not. 
Uh, but they did take a step forward, and that's something that uh, Kyle Dupes is able to hang his hat on. When it comes to the general manager thing, again, just to, to close this out before we talk a little bit about Evgeny Malkin uh, and his birthday yesterday. Um, with the general manager thing, you know, Kyle Dubas might go the entire season, but he might hire the guy in the next couple of days. We don't know. Uh, they might be conducting these interviews very, very secretively, very quietly. We know a lot of the insiders that usually post about this stuff are off at their cottages or their beach houses or wherever they're at. So probably not as plugged in, especially once the, the calendar turns to August. Like I mentioned, a lot of hockey minds decide to shut it down a little bit mm -hmm. before training camp starts in September. Uh, but it, it'll be interesting to see if and when uh, Kyle Dubas does start to circle around that general manager position once again. But I don't think he would have mentioned that he's going to look for that later in the summer unless he had intentions to do so. Uh, yeah, we'll see. It's Anything can happen. Also, general managers lie, so... <laughs> Yeah, but I, I don't think that he would have been like, yeah, uh, that's something we'll worry about in July. To me, that states that he has something in his mind. Now, it uh, might not yeah. be a plan, but he has he has an idea in his mind of probably some candidates that he would like to talk to about the position. Yeah, I mean, at the time that he said that, I think we were all still on the on the train of, well, Brandon Pridham could come over pretty easily, couldn't he? And it seems like... I mean, I don't know exactly what's going on in Toronto. Brandon Shanahan's building that team. But Brandon Pridham's probably still just going to remain in Toronto for a season with... Uh, who did I just say? I just said his name. Shanahan, Shanahan and the other guy. Bradtree Living. Mm -hmm. So we'll see how all that goes. I mean, that's still a possible candidate for Kyle Dubas if he wants to start looking for GMs uh, during this month. Other names, though, I mean... It's been so long since we've worried about it that names have just completely escaped the mind. Mm -hmm. And... Who knows? He's just got a lot in the air right now. He's busy. Maybe he'll get to it come September. Yeah. You know, I would assume nothing too much to worry about. I would assume Eric Tolsky's probably not interested, but also you never know. Like when you look at the way that Dubas is has kind of started to build his front office, it seems like he's hoping for a very collaborative effort. And, you know, even though Tolsky might have wanted the big job, might have wanted the president of hockey ops job. He might be willing to come over and be like a one one A one B situation with Kyle Dubas because you know even when Dubas hires a general manager, he is going to one hundred percent keep his fingerprints on everything that's happening when it comes to the personnel of the team. So uh, it, it'll be fun and interesting to watch. Greeley's another name that I think would pop up once again. I, I think Matthew Darsh is another name that that Kyle Dubas might look at once again. So I mean it, we'll have to wait and see. Obviously uh, that's something that we can worry about whenever the time comes. But let's talk a little bit about Evgeny Malkin. He turned 37 years old yesterday. Celebrated with a rock star caption with the three Stanley Cup trophies and a seven. Obviously they're not the Stanley Cup trophies because why would why would Apple care about hockey? But uh, the three trophies and a seven. Not to mention. He had the Sid Trucker hat on. You got to love it. Evgeny Malkin turns 37. Yeah, it's uh, not an age that many get to in this league, too. Let's put put it that way. It's uh, He's still going to kick around at the age of 37. It's a little frightening to see that age on your roster. I think we all are aware of that. But there is some peace of mind knowing that it's Evgeny Malkin. There's still some good that can come from it. Uh, you know, at the age of 36, he just played his first 80, full 82-game season since he was 22. <laughs> We're getting another year of a healthy Evgeny Malkin. We will see how things go from there, but um, I don't know where the expectations are going to lie exactly. Because, you know, like we said, 37 isn't an easy age to see on your roster. Uh, but there is peace of mind knowing he's a future Hall of Famer. He's got... A lot left, it seems. We'll see where it goes. I mean, is it going to be another point-per-game type season? Well, that's what it... we're going to talk about. Good, good. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned that you're not sure where expectations should be. Well, uh, I hope you find out in a minute because uh, we're going to be doing season over-under predictions for Evgeny Malkin. But, you know, when thinking about Evgeny Malkin's career to this point, so many great memories from 17 seasons. But that with that... We do want to just look at number 18 because we have reminisced a lot about Evgeny Malkin. I'm sure we'll do it again during the season. But at this point in time, the most important thing for, for the Pittsburgh Penguins is winning that next Stanley Cup. So I think we should follow suit here. Talk a little bit about season 18 for Evgeny Malkin and do some over-unders. Let's start with goals, Horwat. Will Evgeny Malkin score over or under 30 goals next season? I know we discussed it a little bit when talking about trying to hit that milestone of 
I think it was last week or the week before that. But do you think Evgeny Malkin scores 30 goals this season? 30 is such a high number, and I don't remember what I said when we, when we discussed that before. Uh, he only needs 29. Maybe he hits 29 exactly. I don't know if he hits 30. I'm going to go under 30 just because this season seems to be a little different. He hasn't scored 30 since he put up 42 in 17-18. Uh, it's been a while. He had 27 last year. Um, and sure, maybe there was a few more he could have had here or there because it was such a down season for so many people on the Penguins that um, while it didn't include him as having a down season, it was just some of the struggles of guys around him. I mean, that power play didn't click at times. Imagine if he was able to put up another three power play goals somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh we're having a completely different conversation, but I'm going to go with under 30 for this time around. And like I said, at the age of 37 with only a couple of years left, maybe he doesn't hit it again. Uh, I think eventually he'll absolutely hit 30 at some point in his career to notch 500 total. Uh, but just, I don't see it happening in one felt swoop. That's all. Yeah, when when it comes to the the goals, obviously power play could be a big X factor. It could really change the perspective of a season if you have a really good power play. And Evgeny Malkin is obviously one of the primary trigger men on the Pittsburgh Penguins power play. But I'm not going to put my faith in that, especially not if I'm betting. And this is, I guess, technically betting. I'm not going to place a bet with most of it riding on whether or not the Penguins power play is going to be successful. Because... It doesn't matter how much talent they have on it. They have still struggled very severely at points. So I'm not going to put faith in that. I'm going to say under as well. But because of the power play, not sure how well that's going to go. And secondly, because I think both Riley Smith and Brian Rust are going to have a really good seasons, especially at 5-on-5. That's who I expect to play on his wings. I would think Mike Sullivan would be silly to, to not at least start Raquel up on the second line and see what Brian Rust is able to do with Evgeny Malkin now that he's going to have to play less on the penalty kill. We talked about that on Penguins to Go yesterday. I think both Smith and Rust not only are going to have good seasons of 5-on-5, but I think those two are going to start acting more as the trigger men. And I think Evgeny Malkin, you started to see it a little bit last season. You're going to see him more as a setup man for that second line. And that's great, too. That's a great move for him. I mean, we always talk about Malkin's goal scoring. I'm sure he's approaching 500 total in his career. Dude's got over 750 assists, too. I mean, he's a setup. He's an, a very underrated setup man and has been for his whole career. Uh, in his... Art Ross year of twenty or sorry two thousand nine, he led the league with seventy eight. Again, I get that was a long time ago, but like he knows how to set guys up. He knows how to be a playmaker as as much as he is a goal scorer and a he's a play driver through and through. So you know if he's able to tack on, and he had fifty six assists last year. If he's able to pick up fifty this year, that's a, a great accomplishment just to start at that. Mm-hmm. Let's move over to total points because that does bring in the assist number here. Will Malkin mm-hmm. score over or under 80 points next season? He scored 83 in 82 games last year. Yeah, he was just over point per game last year. That's uh, <clears throat> such a difficult one to you know, map out. I'm not really great at predictions. I would say he notches 80. Like you said, you think his wingmen are going to have some good seasons. They're going to have some... Bounce back season in Brian Russ's terms and a good continuation for Riley Smith. I could see 80 points. I could. Maybe 80 on the nose. Um, because I do, just because I don't see an 83 point season happening again. Uh, so I'm kind of setting that as the ceiling and declining slightly from there. But I mean, that's not much of a decline right there. 80 to 83. So yeah, you're still taking the over if that's, if that's your, your ceiling for him. Yeah, I was going to say, it's... Man, I, I am not taking betting advice from you. If that's the... No, if, never. If you, came never from that, if you came from that thought process of, well, he's not going to score more than 83, <laughs> but I'm still going to well, say he scores over 80. It's like, you're playing the odds very, very, very wrong in your own mind. Knocking him to get exactly 81 or 82. Have at that one. Uh, <laughs> Jesus. I mean, hey. Hey, you know... Fortune favors the bold, so I'll give it to you there. Because I, yeah, and honestly, there's a lot that goes into my head, and it's early in the morning. It's not going well. Um, do you foresee him playing a full 82 as well? Like that kind of goes into the thought process. I tr- I don't think, mostly because 
well, let's say he plays fully healthy. Those guys don't want to play in game 82. They, I mean, they didn't. They probably didn't want to play in the last game 82. They just sort of had to. Um, and like Crosby said at the end of the season, he'd take 81 in a playoff spot. So mm-hmm. um, that's where they want to be is in the playoffs. And with the amount of production that those two need to put up, it needs to be another great season from them. I don't know if uh, Malkin can hit that. 83 again, and you know, just to adjust myself and sound good, I will go under 80 just to <laughs> appease to. the to. betters out there. It's you a, don't and, have you know, to. Honestly, because, well, yeah, but also thinking about my thought process, I said hitting 50 is a good number for assists. Um, and I didn't see him hitting 30 goals. 30 goals. Now yeah. the math's starting to add up. I'm going to have to go under just to make sense for everybody out there. You were really trying to hedge that bet right down the middle. You're really just trying to play the middle. Hey, listen, if it hits, you win a fortune. But if it Absolutely. misses, it could miss very badly when you when you bet that way. But I'm going to say over uh, simply because I do think that he is going to score a crap ton of assists this season. I I, I Betting on him to stay healthy is, is not obviously the fun thing, but that's the same thing you, you bet with every NHL player, every professional yeah. athlete. So I, I'm going to take it for face value that, hey, there's 82 games in the season. He's entering it healthy. Knock on wood, he stays that way. But he scored 83 and 82 last season. Rust struggled for long periods of time on his wing. I don't see that happening as much. And also the way that the team is constructed once again. Last year, he scored 83 and 82, and that's primarily because the bottom six wasn't helping. That's primarily because for long stretches, the back end and the blue line wasn't helping offensively. This team isn't built that much more to, to sustain that, but they are built to have more momentum as the game goes through for full 60 minutes. So I feel like with that offensive responsibility still on his shoulders, but the defensive responsibility taken away a little bit, I think Evgeny Malkin is going to have a really good season. So I would say over 80 points this season. Uh, The 30 goals, that's a tough number to hit just because I think there's a lot of goals that he's going to need to spread apart throughout that second line. Uh, And I'm not sure how the power play is going to succeed. But I'll say he goes over 80 points. We have two more to get through here. We won't spend as much time on these two. Will Malkin record over or under 75 penalty minutes next season? (laughs) The franchise leader for the Pittsburgh Penguins. He's already there. I, he'll go under 75. I think he's starting to wisen up a little. I mean, not really. He's getting 80, full 82 uh, penalty minutes last season, but under 75 sounds just I, just under. He doesn't have that uh, that degree of difficulty to reach anymore mm-hmm. when it comes to the uh, all-time number for the Penguins. Eh, just going under. Not too much thought going into it. All right. Well, he to me, when I looked at the numbers, and I did run some numbers for this for some reason— He's averaged 79 and a half penalty minutes in seasons where he has played at least 70 games. He's done that six times now in his career. I'm going to say over because I think he'll play more than 70 games. So by the law of averages, I'm going to say he goes over 75 penalty minutes because even though, yes, I I think he is wiser. Yes, he takes less dumb penalties. Not that he takes no dumb penalties. He's still probably, you could pencil him in for one or two explosions that are going to have him 10-minute misconduct here, maybe one other 10-minute misconduct there. <laughs> it's really fun looking at these numbers because it really does average out to about a, about a two-minute minor every other game uh, <laughs> going through just the past few seasons. An easy one-for-one, one, 82 games played, 82 penalty minutes last season. <laughs> just crazy. averaging that minute per game is hilarious. And then um, last the season before, 41 games, about... 24 penalty minutes it's he he knows how to really keep on a pace yeah oh yeah he, he certainly uh makes sure that he, he gets his his fair share of penalty minutes throughout the season but uh regardless let's talk about the last stat here Evgeny Malkin has averaged 4.7 game winning goals per season in his career will he have over or under five in the 2023-24 season Horwat? Ooh, over or under five um that's you know just given the way the game-winning goals has been spread out across the lineup for this team the past few years, I'm gonna go under. Mm-hmm. Um, just it just feels like a ton of guys are getting those uh, clutch time goals. That I mean, Sid had nine last year, Malkin three, Gensel six, Sucker had five last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was 
it's this it's the kind of stat that gets spread out through this lineup and for some reason this lineup specifically um previous season before that even Gensel at seven Crosby again had nine what a monster um Malkin had five and 40 watts so who knows it's something that gets spread out but I'm gonna have to just hit the under and just kind of assume that once again this is the kind of stat that gets spread out through through Crosby through Gensel Raquel might get a few more in there and who knows what Riley Smith brings to this team and also if Eric Carlson's here hey yo <laughs> yeah, obviously the uh, the hidden factor in everything that we say uh, when it comes to predictions. But uh, no, I would say under two. Uh, I'm not exactly sure why. I think this is a very hard stat to predict because it it's is. very situationally. It can change on a dime. You could be up six to nothing, and the guy who scores the fifth goal ends up or the sixth goal ends up being the game winning goal because it come the other team comes back and makes it six to five. So it's a hard mm-hmm. stat to predict. Malkin hasn't gone over five since 2017-18. So, uh, again, I'm just going to go under because at the age of 37 now, it's just like, okay, you know, how clutch can you be? Obviously, Evgeny Malkin is rather clutch. We saw him do it last season in a couple of instances. But I think we all know the most clutch player on the Pittsburgh Penguins. You mentioned him a little bit earlier. His name is Sidney Crosby. But we're going to take a quick break. When we return, we have one listener question to get to before we say goodbye on today's episode. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. Just a quick programming note in case you missed it last week. After Next Tuesday's show, we will be taking a, a quick hiatus. End of that week, the following week, we will be off the entire time. Uh, both of us will be going on vacations and uh, won't have any content for you there, but we will be back and ready to go at the final week of August, getting you ready for the start of the 2023-24 season. But with that, let's finish this show off strong with a listener question. This one comes to us from... Longtime listener of the show, Wesley Reed, on Twitter. He says, now that Ron Hextall is gone, what does Mike Sullivan do with Jeff Carter in this lineup? Horwat, where's Jeff Carter fit? It's, I mean, yes, Jeff Carter was Ron Hextall's boy. That was his man. I think Mike Sullivan didn't have the same, you know, love affair with him, but I still think there was some sort of affection there, and I think Mike Sullivan will still try and utilize Jeff Carter as much as he can in certain areas. At this point, it seems like he's that that overtime face-off guy that I hate, uh, but does he still get utilized at center is going to be the big question because, yeah, he's great at face-offs, but then what? But then what? It's you need to strap him with a second center almost positionally because of the decline in the uh, the defensive zone stuff. And sure, he can take faceoffs, but what else can he bring? It's not much anymore. It uh, You want to move him to the wing, but you don't know if Sullivan's going to do that because of those faceoff stats. Damn it. Uh, you want to say that he is just a winger on this team anymore? Fourth line left wing? Whichever wing he plays, I forget. Right. Um right wing but again i said this a little bit ago there's a log jam of forwards on this team all of a sudden I, we, we talked about the log jam on defense for the last couple seasons this year there's going to be battles for nhl positions in the forward core and it's mm-hmm. all centered around the bottom six i don't it's sure jeff carter's part of that battle uh but there's not much you can do with him other than put him in the lineup or scratch him and like I said, I I, I don't know. think they scratch him. 
and I don't think they scratch him. That's exactly it. So he's going to ride that fourth line somewhere. It's I just don't know where. I don't think it's the fourth line either. I, I, I really oh, don't. No. I do think that he ends up playing third line right wing to start the season. Oh, at, boy. Like, at least out of the gates because mm-hmm. Dubas did arm Sullivan with other center options, right? He brought in Lars Eller. He called him uh, important. I don't remember the exact phrasing he used, but he basically said he was one of the keys or he said it was really, really key to get Lars Eller. There it was. It took me a while to find it. But, and then Lars Eller pretty much said he's ready to play third line center. Yeah, practically said, <laughs> yeah, they brought Yikes. me in to play third line center. Um, yeah. Nola Chari came in. Very, very easily, you can tell that that's the fourth line center for the Pittsburgh Penguins. And I think when you look at Jeff Carter and the struggles he had last year, it wasn't, yeah, sure, it wasn't the faceoff dot, but it was the rest of playing the center ice position. It was trying to lead that line. It was trying to be defensively responsible in the way that he needed to be. Whereas if you move him to wing and you take some of that responsibility away, probably helps him out a little bit more as well. Also helps him out that he was healthy all of last season, right? Mm -hmm. So while, yes, he is 38 years old, yes, He does not, you know, the legs, you could tell the legs fell off last season. He's entering the year fully healthy. You take away a lot of that responsibility by bumping him to the wing. And I also don't think the Penguins acquired anybody really that automatically bumps him down from the third line. Like, who does that? Who automatically bumps him down from the third line to at least the fourth line? Is it Nylander? Like, I I liked Nylander and clearly... He showed something to Mike Sullivan, and Sullivan liked what he saw there as well because he put him up on the second line for a couple of shifts, a couple of games. Mm-hmm. But is Nylander in the position, especially if he doesn't have a great camp, to come in and bump Jeff Carter from the third line down to the fourth line? I wouldn't say as of right now that he's there. So I think unless somebody like Nylander, and I don't think there's very many other people that could come in and do this, unless Nylander comes in and impresses a lot at training camp, I think Jeff Carter starts at the right wing on the third line. Yeah, it, <clears throat> that's very much possible too. It's it's where he played a lot of last year, that third line role. Uh, it's a matter of everyone else that's in this, that is now being put into this fight for organizational spots, uh, and they're not going to take him out of it. He's going to be part of the battle. He's going to be part of the competition per se, uh, but he's been given the biggest of head starts in here's what his contract is here's his clauses here's his veteran leadership assets as well and i mean yeah it's great the locker room loves him they're supposed to they're supposed to be teammates they're supposed to enjoy each other uh i don't know what kind of i don't know what else you can do with them that's a big part of it a third line does seem like a lot to me but that's just to me and to many others but that's if that's where he starts, it's where he starts. The, the The lineup you see on opening night, for obvious reasons, is not the same one you see heading into the postseason. Oh, it never is, no. Never is. It's not supposed to be. Um, But, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Wherever he gets placed, I wouldn't be surprised to see. Yeah. I mean, the third line to start last season was Hein and Carter Kapanen. And going into the year, we thought that wasn't terrible. Two of them are gone, and one of them, if he didn't have a contract with all these fail-safes, would probably be gone as well. Yeah, because going into the season, we thought Heinen came back on a really team-friendly deal because he could have probably earned quite a bit on the open market, and he was on the open market for quite a while. Saw how that went. Uh, And we we had high expectations for Heinen going into the year. Thought, maybe he can try and repeat some of what he did for a million dollars. It's a great idea. Carter, I, I think the wheels had started to fall off. But we knew that's where he was on the team. We knew he was going to be the third-line center. Uh, he was still a meme at that point. We thought, all right, third-line center, not bad. Let's see what we can roll with. And Kaepernick, we were just hoping for a bounce-back year. We didn't like the deal he signed, but we were just hoping there was something in the water that could help him out. And guess what? All three of them, nope. Yeah. And like you said, two of them were gone. One of them is still here and fading quickly. Ron Hextall said... Kapanen's in a relationship that I think is really getting him in the right mindset. <laughs> that didn't work, Ron. Let's not sign contracts based on somebody's relationship status. But um, clearly that wasn't the only factor. But the fact that that even was something that he mentioned when discussing it was kind of crazy. But no, uh, with Jeff Carter, listen, he scored double-digit goals last season still. It was, a, it was a horrible season. Don't get me wrong. And the optics were terrible. And he scored a couple of shorthanded goals. Or not shorthanded goals. Empty net goals. But... He scored double-digit goals. 
If he can do that again in a mitigated third line role, hopefully by at some point somebody emerges and pushes him to the fourth line and he can bring some sort of a scoring punch on the fourth line. Is it great? Again, no. It's like the Granlund thing. Is it great? No. Is it the worst thing in the world? No, it's not. You could right. do worse than than Mikhail, or, sorry, than Jeff Carter. You know, yeah. I honestly think that last year Carter was still a better option than most of the people in the AHL, right? Like Drake Kajula, it, yeah. it's probably a wash if not Carter gets a one up because of experience and the ability to shift to center. Like that, there are reasons that he's still somebody that's going to get a, more than a, you know, more than a healthy scratched role. But I also think coming into this season, the leash is a little bit shorter. I think Mike Sullivan would be a little bit more willing to sit him down if he's struggling and say, listen, you're going to take a game here, maybe two games here, and we're going to put you in the press box. Yeah, I I mean, one thing that also really helped Carter along with his numbers last season was he had a pretty good start to the season. True. Right, first... First couple games, it was like the first four, he had two goals for for, for four total points. Uh, through the first 20, he had 11 points, three of them goals. Now that's not, for a third line guy, it's not terrible, especially to start the season. Maybe you find some footing, uh, but that was it. That was kind of just the trend for the rest of the season. It was all downhill from there. Uh, and pff, some of these games, man, you just long streaks of no points yes it's uh quite ugly i mean it, it, but he had a good start to the season and that's what helped his numbers along because you mentioned uh 10 plus goals yeah the optics were empty netters this that the other but he also started with two in the first four games so yeah. a little bit of a handicap there yeah obviously you know jeff carter is still a, a negative asset when it comes to contract wise you you don't want to pay what 3.75 2.75 i think it's 3.7 or something like that million 3.25 million pull up the magic number oh, where does he go there it's he goes. something around there 3. i don't know why 3.125 3.125 that's why it's because one of those freaking three after the decimal point contracts that i hate um no 3.125 thank you for that um yep still still a negative asset when it comes to the contract but it is the final year of his contract and then maybe uh maybe he can get promoted into Amanda Kessel's role once she gets promoted to assistant GM next season. Um, (laughs) Just looking ahead. Uh, But that's going to do it for this episode of the Tip of the Iceberg. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time.